You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in. Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday night, January 31st, the year of our Lord, 2021 Jam Pack. Director Colin and I have been working for about the past six hours to just condense, while I'm wearing the long sleeves, that and it's freezing in here, to just condense the show down into what would be an acceptable amount of time tonight. So, uh, hey, under an hour, that's all I can promise. Eric Gilbert's not in the transfer portal anymore. He was when we started formatting the show about six hours ago. Nick Saban's got a leaked Zoom video where he's recruiting a kid out of Philadelphia, somewhere in Pennsylvania. I know he's got five stars next to his name. I don't know if he still has Alabama offer next to his name, but it's just stirring video. When you're when you're able to peel back the curtain a little bit and we're able to finally see the things we normally don't get to see, it's fascinating. So we decided to do like a full forensic audit of that video tonight. So we're going to break that down. If you haven't seen it or if you have, you're going to see bits and pieces of it again. We rarely play SOTS, sound on tapes, on the show, but we are tonight. All that, and we're going to take a deep dive into what the transfer portal is doing to college football and, and specifically what it's doing to the makeup of personnel departments and coaching staff. So I've been talking with a couple of people for about a week and a half now about this. I didn't just kind of go into it lightly because I wanted to get a real feel for how people inside the college football coaching world and personnel world are dealing with this. Things are rapidly evolving as we're about to talk about in like two minutes with Eric Gilbert. We're going to do that. Plus we got Mood Tracker tonight. Told you it's a jam-packed show. We're talking Michigan. We're talking LSU. Uh, it is not a slow content week. There are no slow content weeks. And so if someone tells you it's a slow content week in the world of college football, just come over here because we'll have something to talk about. In fact, many things to talk about. Also, totally unrelated to the show, but I got to put it out there because I need some help. I know a lot of you who watch the show live in Nashville. I know some of you play men's league softball. So I got me. I got a couple of guys. Don't know what the scene is here with the Parks and Rec deal, so I just need you, if you know things, if you understand how the situation works up here, I, uh, I'm looking to be a free agent this spring, so hit me in my inbox, joshpate706 at gmail.com. I may have a couple of folks to bring with me. I cannot vouch for their athleticism. One claims to have played baseball in middle school. The other has caught at the high school level, and um, I've played a fair amount, so... I can't promise the quality, but hey, we will be high character guys. So hit me up in the inbox if you um, if you've played up here. In all seriousness, I'm not joking about that. All right, let's dive in, Director Colin. We have got a lot to get to tonight. Eric Gilbert is the University of Florida's latest superstar tight end recruit, if we want to call him that, because he's coming out of the transfer portal. So he shocked everyone about two or so hours ago. Gilbert had been in the portal, and you know the timeline here. He January, I think, 31st is today. Yeah, so January 31st, which is today, he announces on Twitter, hey, I'm going to Florida. In reverse, I think it was the 5th where he entered the transfer portal, and then everywhere in between has been rumor city as to where he was going to land. So this guy got rave reviews out of high school. You remember him. I told you he's the most impressive specimen I've watched in person at the high school level. I watched him when he was at Marietta. And so he had some good times as a true freshman, entered the portal in early January. Now he's out of it. Now he's going to Florida. And so he tweeted the news, and he did it from a Dollar General, and or Family Dollar, rather, I think. One of the dollar store chains. And so that's how I know it's serious, because 
When inspiration hits you, it doesn't matter where you are. You just got to tweet it out. So I want to jump into this. This is obviously huge news for Dan Mullen. It's huge news for Florida. A 2020 landed Eric Gilbert. I know Tim Brewster, Dan Mullen, like you could throw around a lot of credit for which coach took the lead on this. But the, the 2020 season is what landed Eric Gilbert. I mean, do you think he would have gone there had he not seen what Florida's offense did? And then part B, even more specifically, is Kyle Pitts. You could have, you could have essentially called Kyle Pitts the lead recruiter for Eric, Eric Gilbert. I mean, that, that guy had a phenomenal year. And we were talking, uh, Director Colin and I in the control room, it's guys like Kyle Pitts who paved the way for players like Eric Gilbert to be ranked as lofty as they have been because they kind of create a new blueprint for the kind of player that you can have at a certain position. Well, Eric Gilbert fits that. I mean, certainly he fits that. No one questions the athleticism there. And this is another example outside of just the immediate impact. This is an example of Florida properly valuing and leveraging the transfer portal. This is something we're going to dive way deep into towards the end of the show, but right here on the surface to begin with, this is an example of a program that's recruiting good. Okay, Florida's not recruiting at an elite level, but they're recruiting at a very good level. So right now, I think they're ranked 13th in the country for this 2021 class, but that's where they're floating in like the, the 6 to 12 range any given year, which is really, really good. Not quite elite, but what if you combine really, really good recruiting with a phenomenal grasp of how to work the transfer portal? Because this is not the first major transfer, even in this cycle, that Florida's landed. I mean, they got Bowman. They've got Eric Gilbert. Uh, Brenton Cox was a big-time pickup for him in the last year, and he played and played very well for them this year. He transferred from Georgia. So these are impact guys. I saw just a second ago, I think it was one of our old buddies from here. I think it was Charles Power. Maybe him. Anyway, if you were to add Demarcus Bowman and you were to add Eric Gilbert to the signing class with Florida's recruits that they brought in that year, that would have been like the fifth or sixth ranked class in the country. That's the way I choose to look at this. And so talent-wise, Gilbert fits pretty much anywhere, uh, especially, you know, he figures to be effective with what you think Florida's offense will be this year. Kyle Trask is out. Presumably it's Emory Jones. Really nice to have that caliber tight end. It's also nice to be able to have the versatility you have with a tight end like that, where you can go in line, you can have a power set, you can flex them out wide, you can go five wide if you want to, spread power, spread power, don't have substitute and keep defenses on the field. Like, all oh, that's great. And that's what they did at LSU a couple of years ago. Uh, that's what you know teams like Alabama are able to do. It's what Georgia wants to be able to do. It's what Florida was able to do this year, and they want to be able to do. But aside from the obvious impact, just one more thing here. Uh, I don't think I need to say this out loud, but yet I will anyway. You just kept an elite talent off of Alabama's roster, off of LSU's roster, and off of Georgia's roster. So aside from the impact he's going to have there, he's not going to have the impact there. Kind of a little two-for-one trade-off. Those haven't gone our way enough, if I'm a Florida fan. And now finally one has gone our way, and then two, and then three, and then four go our way. And then all of a sudden, you are uh, headed to Atlanta every year or every other year instead of once every blue moon. So really big day for Florida. Uh, Florida right now, now they got to close strong in this signing class. They got the number 13 class in the country right now. Signing day is Wednesday. Myself and Steve Wilfong, along with several others, will be live right here in this studio. And so really looking forward to and very intrigued by how Florida can close out on National Signing Day. But Eric Gilbert to Florida, it is a massive pickup for the Gators. All righty, now we roll on 
Uh, as I said early, there is a, a news industry kind of TV term for anytime you play a soundbite. It's called a SOD. It's sound on tape, even though we don't use tape anymore. The acronym has stuck. And it's any anytime you have something that you need the audience to hear where the on-air talent just needs to shut up. It's called a soundbite. That's basically what it's called. So we don't really do those a whole lot on here, but Director Colin and I were talking. We got some video out there. It's a couple of days old now. It's this video that leaked Nick Saban. So Here's your nice, easy in-cut, Colin. Nick Saban had a recruiting video, kind of a Zoom chat with a recruit who shan't be named, doesn't need to be named. It's not really germane to the overall topic here. It went public, and it was like 15 minutes long. Now, I was in this very office when it went public the other day, and I made sure to watch the whole thing because I thought it was going to be deleted pretty quickly. Uh, Shocker, it was deleted pretty quickly. Now, Enough people captured it to where it's still out there. And some of you have seen it. In fact, I would imagine if you're watching my show, most of you have seen it because most of you are pretty diehard college football fans. However, if you didn't, here's the setup. And then Director Colin, in just a second, we're going to play you different clips of it because I want to comment on several facets of this video. Nick Saban is the secret behind Alabama recruiting. That's no breaking news. But in 2021, this 2021 class is getting ready to possibly shatter all-time recruiting records for highest rated classes. I saw a stat today. Um, this one's just, I don't even know how to properly categorize this. The things they're able to do in their marketing department with recruiting from the success they've had are insane. Do you know what it's like to be able to look at a kid and say, since 2009, we've had more linebackers drafted than games lost. That's not an error. That's real. They can say that kind of stuff. We've had more linebackers drafted into the NFL than games lost. So the backstory, I've shared this before, and I've, I've talked about their approach, Alabama's approach. Um, I've been around some kids that they've recruited. And so it's really hard to be in the living room or in the principal's office when the visits are going on, but you can get some good, honest feedback off the record from kids who have been recruited by Alabama. And there are many programs that recruit similarly, and I've learned that there are this precious few. It's no mistake, they're usually at the top. There's this few, and Alabama's kind of the lead dog in this pack of few. They have a different approach than almost everyone else. And the approach there is the willingness to look a kid in the eye. Julio Jones famously told this story one time, and I have since gotten it validated from several other kids. They'll just look you in the eye and they'll tell you, we're going to win with you. We're going to win without you. It's like, make up your mind. You do everything but yawn as you say, so what's it going to be, man? Like, I got other places to be today. Now, it's really direct and it's really succinct and it flies in the face of what those kids are being told by other programs. There are no promises of playing time. It's just, it's not the way they go about it. But here's what I've always been met with. Well, sometimes I've been met with this reaction when I tell people that or when I say it on the show. People don't believe that. Like a lot of people don't believe you can have the success that they've had if you're not promising things or if you're not doing things that other programs aren't doing, saying things that other programs aren't saying. So Director Colin marches himself into the production kitchen today and he took the video and he chopped it up and we got the most important, fruitful parts out of that video. So there's this adage out there. I think it's kind of wearing thin now, but for a while, as we tee up this first video, there's been this talking point amongst more desperate staffs that they're willing to look a kid in the eye and say, if you go to Alabama, you're probably sitting on the bench a couple of years. Whereas if you come here, you can play right away. It's the old early playing time guarantee uh, that they don't really do in Alabama. I mean, it, you can play as a freshman there. They play freshman all the time, but there is no promise of it. So 
I've always heard that said, and I've always gotten that feedback from kids. What we haven't heard necessarily is Nick Saban himself addressing it. Well, that is until right now. First clip. And, you know, everybody's going to tell you in recruiting, you know, oh, don't go to Alabama. You can play at our school before you can play there. They got all these good players there. Uh, you won't be able to play. You play at our place earlier. I think that's the worst stuff that people can tell you. Like, first of all, when they tell you that, they're first of all insulting you. Right? Because I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if you couldn't play here. All right. Number two, when they say you can play at our place before you can play at Alabama, they're just telling you Alabama's better than them. (laughs) So that's what it sounds like. Here's the beauty in this. The beauty is that it's a natural filtration process. So I had it explained to me like this one time. This is great because I already think metaphorically. So someone laid it out to me from, let's say, the Alabama sphere. And it's like this, the way that Saban likes to lay it out and the way it's laid out to a kid is you don't realize it, but your competition's doing half the groundwork for you. Your competition, if you've ever seen Smokey and the Bandit, okay, Burt Reynolds' entire role in the movie, aside from hooking up with Sally Field every now and then, is his entire role is to run interference. And so there you are. You know, if you're Alabama, you're back here, you're Jerry Reed. You got the hound dog in the passenger seat, except uh, in the 18-wheeler, instead of being loaded with beer, it's loaded with national championships and first-round draft picks. And you got Burt Reynolds out ahead of you, rival staffs out ahead of you. They're essentially running interference. They are putting in place a natural filtration process. Now, Burt Reynolds is out there to draw the cops' attention so Jerry Reed can get from Arkansas to Georgia and, uh, you know, eastbound and down, yada, yada, yada. Well, those rival coaching staffs are promising kids something that you're refusing to promise them, and you're trying to find, really, who's competitive enough to walk into the most competitive environment the sport has to offer with the most talent collectively the sport has to offer and rise. Like, where is the cream? Because physically, they all have it. Like he said, I I wouldn't be talking to you if you weren't talented enough physically, but from the neck up, like that's what that process is about. And you don't realize it at the time, but your, your competition is participating in your favor in a natural filtration process. Because if a kid does not embrace that theory and that principle of competition, they're probably not going to make it there anyway. It's nice to find that out when they're a junior or a senior in high school, as opposed to when they're a freshman or a sophomore two years in taking up spot on your roster. So that's the first part of that. It's always appealed to me because I don't really think a lot of people grasp necessarily that you're doing their bidding for them when you're out there promising playing time all over the recruiting trail. It's kind of hard though for, I've always noticed it's very hard for normal people to grasp a competitor's mentality because I've watched elite kids sign with programs like Ohio State or sign with programs like Alabama and the rosters are already loaded and so they're they're always in the comment sections on the message boards they're always folks who say why would you ever go there instead of coming here because here you look at our depth chart and then you look at their depth chart why would you ever want to go somewhere where you're probably going to ride the bench for two years whereas here you'd play immediately I get the mentality But what I don't think you get if you are of that mentality is that a competitor's mentality is the total inverse. A competitor looks at the easy route and says, no, because I'm looking over here and it's going to be a knife fight every day at practice for me to even get on the field. I love that. Sign me up. Here's the thing, though. No one tells you they're not competitive. Everyone claims they're a competitor. There are people out there, folks who are a dime a dozen who will look at you and say, oh, man, I'm so competitive. You're not. 
You're really, you're not an alpha competitor because there are only a few of those. Those are the one percenters. Those are the like 0.3 percenters in the world. But if you are of that mentality, then all that stuff that he just laid out, it appeals to you. You love it. You want to go fight for a job every day. You want to play against the best, which brings me to the next clip that director Colin has. And that is talking about what it's like there. See, these practices are closed now. Um, if you could ever be a part of an Alabama football practice, if you could ever go to Clemson, if you could ever go to Ohio State and you could see kids that are running scout team that could in some cases start for top 25 programs and you see the battles, just these wars that happen every day at practice that are more competitive about eight times out of 10 than the games they're going to play on Saturday, it would blow your mind. You would ask yourself, how can people be put through this every day? and still like be physically in one piece at the end of the year, well, it's competition. That's what it is. So the second clip has to do with what I'm talking about now. Let's roll it. Cam Robinson played left tackle here, won the Alpha Trophy. Jonathan Allen played for the Redskins. He was the right end. He won under Gerstin. They practiced against each other every day for three years. All those guys will tell you that made me better. Right. The competition made me better. The guy I practiced against was better than the guy I played in the game against. So don't listen to that. Mm-hmm. It's a really valuable recruiting tool. Now, if you just built a program, you don't get to say that yet. But now if you've got some sustainability and longevity and you've you've got a finished result that you can show kids and here's this dude, here's that dude, here's 40 more dudes. Well, then you don't really have to so much take his word for it because you can just talk to Jonathan Allen. You can talk to Cam Robbins and you can talk to Amari Cooper, Marlon Humphrey, two other guys that he mentioned that we had to cut out there for time. But I always am humored. Uh, and we'll hear it this week, inevitably. inevitably. Bama's going to have the number one class in the country for this cycle. And so I'll get some folks in my inbox who will pontificate as to the reasons why. I mean, there's this, this kind of notion that there's the Bama bump in our industry. You know, In other words, Alabama's recruiting classes aren't actually that good. If these kids were committed somewhere else, they wouldn't be rated as high. Well, that's only valid if they underachieve in mass relative to their rating, have you looked at the NFL draft? Is there an, is there a Bama bump in the draft too? Uh, is there a is there a Bama bump in terms of production on the field when they're skull dragging everyone? I don't necessarily think so. So the whole Bama bump deal, it's never carried that much weight with me. But here's the other thing: there are 50 million different excuses that folks will come up with that that is counter to just they're that good. To explain why they continue to recruit at a high level, you know the reasons I'm talking about, and I'm telling you I've never bought into anything being disproportionately, let me let me put it that way, tilted towards Alabama. Here's the main reason, though. The third clip that Colin's going to play for you, I want you to put yourself in the chair. I want you to put yourself on the other end of the Zoom call. You are the five-star recruit. You have aspirations to make it to the league. You are your family's way out. And you tell me what part of what you're about to hear come out of Nick Saban's mouth doesn't do it for you. One more championships. We've won six championships in the last 11 years. We've been in the national championship game eight out of the last 11 years. We've been in the playoffs nine out of the last 11 years. We got more guys drafted than any school in the country. We had 64 guys playing in the league last year. The next school had 41. So we got way more players playing in the league than anybody else. Not quite sure what more you'd be looking for there. Like what added incentive would you need that, that is not already included 
in the package that you're getting when you commit to the University of Alabama. So basically, I think Nick Saban came out of this looking like a mob boss. He didn't want it leaked out there. It's kind of like a mob boss doesn't want you to know about all their extracurricular activities, but yet when you find out about it through secondary sourcing, it just makes them all the more legendary. Nick Saban is now made to look all the more legendary because he's just sitting there in his element. He's just kind of, you know, hands behind his head, just kind of leaned back. He doesn't have the sweat stains I do on the shirt, but he just kind of leaned back and he's saying, this is who we are. If you want to come here, that's great. Probably beat you into a coma if you don't come here, but it is what it is. Make up your mind. I got another five-star to call. And that's the great thing about the legends. The legends don't really ever have to remind you that they're legends. Nick Saban never talks about himself publicly. It doesn't have to because the actions and the results kind of speak for themselves. So that was really fun to watch. I hope we get more. I don't think we'll get any more anytime soon. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It is mood tracker time though. The mood tracker has just taken off. I look at the traffic and I look at the comments and I look at the uh, per, per 50 viewer comments and we get more comments per video capita on the mood tracker segments than we do pretty much anything else. And the mood tracker rolls on tonight and I've been asking you guys, you can hit me uh, in my Twitter DMs or email, the most requested programs are getting priority. Let me say that. LSU's mood tracker has been put off for about two weeks now. Now, the LSU mood tracker was in hot demand from all of you guys, but yet I wanted to see, kind of wait and see, I guess, what happened with the coaching searches and replacements and Ed Orgeron trying to fill out his staff. And he's done that, and now I I kind of still was on the fence today. So it's LSU day. I knew we were going to do LSU today. However, 
Sometimes I got a really firm grip on the pulse of a fan base. Other times, as was the case with LSU today, it kind of feels a little bit fragmented and a little bit decentralized where you're trying to fire into a flock of birds instead of at a deer. You know, it's very hard to aim. I reach in there, I try and grab, I don't come away with anything. And so that's when you got to go to the people directly. You got to go to the board. So I went over to go 24-7 earlier today and the people responded. Several pages deep is that thread over there already. So this is why we do Mood Tracker. Because the view that a lot of the national types have about your program from, say, 50,000 feet does not always match or equal what the real feel is on the ground level. So I go on the message board for LSU today and I just flat out said, we're doing this tonight. I want to know from you in a word or a phrase, give me your mood currently as we sit here January 31st, 2021 on LSU football. So these were some of the most popular reactions. You got cautious optimism. That was by far the most popular. Uh, do or die. Now, there was a lot of just genuine energy. They're very happy to have a younger, uh, more attractive coaching staff that probably is more relatable to your players. There's a lot of that boom or bust, do or die, as I said, was very popular, ready, rejuvenated. And then overall, there's just this mixture of emotion. There are people who are willing to be excited, but they're also trepidation. There were very few people ready to just run off the cliff. And so I look at that, I sum it all up, I put it in the mind, and out came what I call Henry Rowengardner territory. Now, this is not a football movie, it's a baseball movie, but if you're familiar with the movie Rookie of the Year, Henry Rowengardner was a 12-year-old pitcher for the Cubs. Very tough last name to pronounce, but he signed with Pepsi, he's a millionaire, really good player. And it was because he had an arm injury that made him throw like 113 miles an hour. So with LSU, they're kind of at the place right now where Henry Rowengardner was when you got that do-or-die game to win and go to the playoffs. He, you've, we've seen the fastball, so we know you can throw like 109 miles an hour, but then you slip and you fall, and the arm pops back into place, and all of a sudden you're just a 12-year-old again. And you say, I'm okay, I'm okay, but then you get on the mound, and your first warm-up pitch, two hops the catcher at like 48 miles an hour. And so that's where we are right now. We've seen the fastball. 2019 was incredible. No one could stop it. And then it's like it's like LSU football collectively slips on a banana peel or a wayward baseball, as it were, and you convince everyone you're okay. For example, if you're Ed Orgeron, you convince everyone, no, 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 no. Not only are we okay defensively, we're better. We're better under Bo Pelini than we were under Dave Aranda. And, and we're going to be fine everywhere. We're just going to be good, 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 good. And then it was bad, 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 bad. But since we've seen the fastball, and since the LSU nation has seen the fastball, no one's ready to sell. No one's ready to punt. We, we've got some off-the-field situations that aren't really football-related that I have no skill in being able to speculate on. But if we put that over in this compartment and just, just hope it turns out, which is all we can do right now, and we're talking about strictly on-the-field matters, everyone's willing to forget about 2020. I don't know a person that's going to say, yeah, I know this guy won us a national championship, and I know we had one of the most legendary seasons in the history of college football, but I just can't get over 2020. No one's saying that if everything gets righted. So you can make the case, even if we're sitting here right now because we don't know how the future plays out, if you're trying to get yourself invested again, and you'll be in this mood, if you're an LSU fan, if you're not already there, come August, first few days of practice, you'll be looking for any reason possible to remember 2019 forget about 2020, and invest in 2021. Here's how I think you do it. 
You just have to convince yourself that 2020 was an anomaly, and you could convince yourself that 2020 was doomed from the beginning. So you had all the departures from the NFL draft. Um, You had replacing the combination of quarterback, offensive coordinator, as I look at it. I know in title you didn't, but let's be real. You replaced your offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, and then you got a bunch of talent to replace. You also had a lot of off-the-field dynamics that were just bad. And so in retrospect, I think long before Mike Leach came in there and did what he did in week one, things were probably just doomed. You can make that argument, and I could buy into that, having not seen 2021 and beyond. So all that stuff is fixable, is the point. It's fixable if you got proper leadership. So in other words, what we're waiting to find out is, is Ed Orgeron the man? If he's the man, then all the stuff that's fixable will have been fixed. And for all we know, it already has been fixed. But you got to show me the fastball. Because that's how we're going to know. Like LSU winds up against UCLA. They open, by the way, in Pasadena. I'm not so sure I don't want to make that trip if California's open by then. It's only eight months from now, so we'll see. But, I mean, if they they head out to Pasadena and they put one high and tight under Chip Kelly's chin at about 98, you're getting good and loose, looks nice. We got quarterback figured out. We got OC figured out. We got a younger, more energetic coaching staff. Recruiting hasn't gone anywhere. I mean, recruiting's still fine. The energy around the program's still really good. You don't get a feel of inevitable doom. You feel that at some programs, even though it's not over, you can tell it's all but over. That's not the feel around LSU at all. That's not the feel around the fan base. The fan base is just kind of like they just took a shot to the chin, and they've just gotten back up at about the count of seven, and it's like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Got my wits about myself now. Uh, is that going to happen again? I hope that doesn't happen again. That hurt. I, I want the feel where I'm the one delivering the blow like I did in 2019. So right now, cautious optimism is the best we can do at LSU. Hopefully, you got a lot of elements out of there that didn't need to be there. You kept the elements that do need to be there. And now you bring in another very talented freshman class. You get quarterback figured out. Hopefully, the offense looks like it did a lot more in 2019 than 2020, and things will be well. But if you're saying 2021 is the, not necessarily do or die season, but it is the show me season, I got to agree with you. I think 2021 for LSU could very well be what 2020 was for Dan Mullen and Florida. There were a lot of questions about Mullen. He wasn't on a hot seat, but there were a lot of questions, and he validated, even in what turned out to be a four-loss season, it's kind of weird that Dan Mullen validated a lot of what people wanted him to validate because they beat Georgia, they won the East, they were prolific offensively, and then it just kind of got weird towards the end of the year. Well, LSU, hopefully not losing four games in the process, but LSU really needs to get back. They need to get the fastball back in 2021. We're also doing Michigan tonight. So let's hop, skip, and jump our way up to Ann Arbor, Michigan. The Michigan Mood Tracker. Here's what it feels like to me. I got some Michigan buddies, so I don't necessarily always have to go to the message board and ask, hey, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? Sometimes I do. But when they're all in agreement on how they feel in the eye, Josh, when I'm texting them, I don't really feel the need to do that. And the kind of feel that I've gotten from my Michigan compadres right now is somewhere in between the plant and the harvest. So I guess you would call it being in growing season. Like no one... Uh, at least from who I've talked to, no one feels overly jacked and overly enthusiastic about Michigan football in 2021, but yet no one's burning couches in Ann Arbor anyway, or either. So so it's kind of somewhere in between. You're just kind of waiting. You think you've done everything you need to do. You've made a change at offensive coordinator. You've got your quarterback on campus now. You've got some good young wide receiver talent coming in. 
and you re-signed a coach for what that's worth. I'll talk about that in a second. You're just kind of looking at the ground every day. You keep doing your due diligence. You keep watering it dutifully. You're waiting for the harvest. And so far, looking at the ground here, I don't really see anything sprouting. Maybe it's like that Chinese bamboo and it grows like 60 feet over the next 10 weeks. Hopefully that's what Michigan football is going to be like. But if I'm a Michigan fan, as I like to do in these mood trackers, I'll just kind of walk over to your side of the fence and I'll, I'll kind of look over the fence with you. What more do we do? We're kind of powerless here. You know, sometimes if the fan base hasn't properly invested, there's something you can do. Like you can kind of activate and mobilize yourselves and then hopefully in turn, the athletic department responds and the football program responds and you kind of see the football program ride a tidal wave of fan support and momentum that previously hadn't been there. I would argue Central Florida football fits that description. Well, that's not Michigan football. The support's been there forever. And so if I'm a, if I'm a Michigan fan, if I'm an alum or not, if I'm just looking there and I'm saying, what more can we do? I don't know, man. I'm invested. I watch every game. I buy my season tickets. I, I buy merchandising. I donate when I'm asked to. I don't know what more I'm supposed to do. And so here's, here would be my concern, to be honest with you. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but this would be my concern. My concern, if I'm a Michigan fan, would be maybe I'm a little bit more invested emotionally than the athletic director and department and university here. That would be my concern because there was a lot of staff shuffling, but that was only after this weird speculation period about whether the man you're seeing on your screen, Jim Harbaugh, whether he was going to come back or not. And so he, he re-signs or signs an extension and they reduce his overall salary and it's loaded with incentives and it just kind of felt weird. But yet we, we replace our defensive coordinator and our safeties coach and our corner coach and our quarterback coach and our offensive line coach. I, I, that's great. We had to change something. That's wonderful. We wondered whether it was going to be head coach. It's not. And so instead we got kind of a lot of aesthetics. What we don't want to see is deck chairs being rearranged on the Titanic. Hopefully that's not what this is. But here's what I'd want to know. Did anything change about our DNA? Like if we're just, if we don't have the DNA, I don't care that we put on a new shirt, a new pair of khakis, pun intended, a new, new pair of shoes. I don't care about that. We're still in here, like we're still the same. So I want to know that something in here changed. It's pretty obvious that where Michigan's really been lacking up until this last year, predominantly where they had been lacking was on the offensive side of the ball. Now, this year, there were multiple places, both sides, they were lacking. So Don Brown's out as a result of that on defense. But Josh Gaddis, you know, I'm still of the opinion, even two years in, that I cannot properly grade the Josh Gaddis hire because I think that they were so behind the curve when it came to needing the kind of personnel that Josh Gaddis needs to run the offense there I think it takes a couple of recruiting classes. And so you've got J.J. McCarthy, for example, uh, which is the most talented quarterback they'll have the moment he steps on campus, obviously. And you've got some, some young wide receiver talent. Uh, they've got some really, really fast wide receiver talent. I haven't said that about them up until now. I haven't been able to say that about them. So for all I know, Josh Gaddis was the absolute perfect hire that I haven't been able to properly grade. And so I hope that he's been given the, the requisite ingredients with which to cook and with which to operate the way he wants to. But if you want to look at a place, you want to look at a program that needs an inflection point, that's something you hear in the boardroom all the time. No, Michigan football, they need the inflection point this year. Because I tell you, as I've said before, what the most dangerous word is in sports in general, and it's apathy. I don't think apathy has set in around the Michigan program yet, um, around the fan base. But I will say, I think it's a lot closer than it's ever been. 
And that's a pretty scary thing to say about a program as storied and a tradition as rich as Michigan football. That's not good. And so when you got folks sitting around and they keep taking that same garbage every year and they're looking around saying, well, we can't do any more. And our rivals down there in Columbus, Ohio, like they're only pulling further away. We look at Alabama and, and all these other like major brand names that we're supposed to be. They're only pulling further away. Like at what point do I just kind of relegate myself to accepting that this is us? Well, they're not there yet. And I don't think they want to be there, obviously, but they're not there yet. But every year of mediocrity gets them a little bit closer to that point. Inflection point time in 2021 for Michigan. All right, to end the show tonight, and we're not done yet, but this is the last topic. I've taken about two weeks ever since Steve Wolfong and I were talking the other day before we recorded one of his whip around videos about the changes in the needs for personnel departments in college football. So I'll give a word of caution here. I would always caution you when you hear about the landscape of college football changing, don't always assume it's going to be bad. I know a lot of times anything, something looks like it's about to change. Those of us who have watched college football for a long time, and those of you who have watched maybe for a lot longer than me, you just assume it's for the worst. Okay. And sometimes change is okay. Sometimes change is good. Change is never always bad. Change is not always for the better. Like there, there's a healthy mixture of both here. So the transfer portal, for example, that is the talk of college football behind the scenes right now. And the debate is over. It's, it's the point I want to make to get into this. The debate about how the transfer portal should be handled and what should be legal and what should not be allowed, that stuff's over. Like if you're still internally as a coach now, if you're still debating that stuff, you're 10 steps behind the competition. Dan Mullen is on your screen right now. If you're watching on YouTube, Colin's showing you Dan Mullen. We just talked about them landing Eric Gilbert. Like these programs aren't waiting around anymore. Truth be told, some of them wish the transfer portal didn't exist, but it does. It's a necessary evil if you don't like it. It's a golden opportunity if you do like it, but you got to leverage it properly or else you are going to be a dinosaur in the next five years. So the personnel structure inside your favorite college football program and the staff structure, this is the talk behind the scenes in the world of college football. This affects you as a fan indirectly, no matter who you pull for. And it's also creating new pathways into the world of college football. You see, a lot of you, when I do these Zoom consultations, you say, you know what I'd want to do? I don't even want to work in media. I want to work inside college football. And you get the sense sometimes that, well, since I've never been a football coach or I've never been a football player, I can't be in that world. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you, Listen, some graphics design folks are getting paid six figures now to work in these athletic departments. So the next wave, the next influx of talent is going to come in the areas that I'm about to talk about because there are new requirements in college football programs now that didn't exist five years ago. So like I wrote down the old school structure. Let's go to 2005 or 2010, even as recently as probably 2015. The old school structure, you've got your coaching staff, you've got your strength and conditioning staff, you've got your nutrition specialist, you've got your sports medicine department, your doctors, uh, you've got academic advisors, you've got your compliance team, which kind of is a, a vestige of the athletic department, but that's who you would have. Then in your scouting departments, you'd have your high school scouts. That's recruiting, traditional recruiting. You would have JUCO scouts to know the JUCO scene out there. And that's more of, you know, sprinkles on top of your recruiting class. Well, that's about it. Now, guess what you have to have? Now you got to have a director of scouting for FBS and FCS. 
In other words, the kids who are already in college, you continue to scout them. Because any given year, like 15% of them may go in the transfer portal. And then, and this is where Uncle Wiltfong the other day brought up another really good point. You need to have a director of acquisition. It's almost like a talent acquisition specialist. And this person's role would really be twofold. Number one, it would sort of be recruiting the portal. But number two, it would be keeping your current roster either happy or intact or satisfied, whatever you want to call it, making sure that they're on top of any kind of kind of interwoven problems that may be bubbling just below the surface that could end up with a disgruntled player in the transfer portal. You got to be on top of that. You just don't have time if you're a coordinator. You don't have time if you're a head coach to every single week be doing a full autopsy of every single scholarship player you have while also getting ready to play Texas A&M on Saturday. You don't have time for that. And so if you wait for someone hitting the portal to know them and talk to them, you're done. You can't wait until that happens because too many of your opponents, too much of your competition isn't doing that anymore. And if you don't have the creative and psychological aspects of attracting and keeping that talent mastered, you're also done. You're going to be a ghost. You're going to be a dinosaur five years from now. And these are abilities you didn't even need to have five or 10 years ago. You got to have it now. It's it's okay to be reactionary. Like a lot of these coaches look around and they don't want to be the first to try something, but they don't want to be the fifth either. Like they want to let someone else be the test dummy. And if that works, okay, let's implement what they're doing. That's okay. It's okay to be reactionary. You can make a living and you can make a good living being reactionary. But what you really want is you want a head coach or you want leadership in place along with your head coach that are instinctive enough to be at the forefront, to be at the cutting edge. Be doing, for example, what Dan Mullen in Florida have been able to do with the transfer portal. You're going to need to do that every year, okay? The same programs that benefit in in an elite manner on the recruiting trail, theoretically, should be the same programs that could dominate the transfer portal if they needed to. It's not always going to be that way, though, because theoretically, if you recruit at a high level, and you're maintaining from an acquisition standpoint, your roster, you may not need to dip into the transfer portal. So what you're capable of doing versus what you need to do every year may not always marry up, but you'd a lot rather be able to do something you don't need to do than not be able to do something you do need to do. So think about everything I just said and then combine it with what's coming. Because the next, next wave is name, image, and likeness. Now, that's something that, speaking of Florida, major programs all over the place, Florida, uh, most recently I was reading about, everyone's positioning themselves. Everyone wants to be at the cutting edge of name, image, and likeness. But I'm thinking about the future of a head coach in college football. The future head coaches in college football will be more CEO in nature than they've ever been. You've you've always called coaches that, and they are, because even right now, or even five or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you're running a major organization. There is a vast majority of your day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year schedule that you're doing things that have nothing to do directly with the game of football, but yet you are a leader of a football organization, and so you have to do it. But here's what I think. You have to be a master of so many of these things that are football-related, but they're secondary in nature, like acquisition, like the transfer portal, like name, image, and likeness. If you think about what a future head coach could be, I guarantee you there's coming a day in college football where there are going to be head coaches that are top 10, head coaches that are winning 10 games a year that are probably... C to C plus at best, if you were to get them on a grease board. When it comes to football minds, 
they would be viewed as very average, but yet they're exceptional leaders and they understand how to run the entire organization. And at that point, a college football organization will dwarf in 2025 what a college football organization was in 2015 to the point where you could have some names that are viewed as elite head coaches five or 10 years from now that never would have gotten a shot. And you know what to be a head coach five or 10 years earlier. That's how the sport's evolving. Now, you can tell me whether you think that's good or bad. I always welcome your feedback in the comment section because, to be honest with you, I don't have a full grasp on how I feel about that. But here's the thing. If it's going to happen, especially if you are in this world, your opinion's irrelevant. you got to either adapt or die. Two options there. There is no in-between because in-between, by default, is you dying. So that's really, really fascinating. This is not the last time we're talking about this this offseason because this is something that if you get coaches off the record, they don't want to talk about it on the record, but when you talk to coaches, assistants and head coaches off the record, they will, they'll put their coffee down and they will unbutton their belt buckle and they'll just lean back and they'll start going. Everybody's got a take on this stuff. Everybody gets very illustrated and colorful on this stuff. Everyone's got ideas uh, but yet then they'll say, but hey, man, like it is what it is. We got to do it. And so here's what we're doing. Don't tell anyone. So my lips are sealed. Uh, my lips are not sealed on this, though. I appreciate you guys giving us a lot of traction on the channel. We have got a signing day show coming up Wednesday. So here's the schedule for this week. National signing day is Wednesday. Uh, Uncle Steve Wolfong and I will be in studio and we will do a full three-hour live show on Wednesday morning. So make sure you're subscribed here. Make sure you click the bell for notifications. Some of you were watching the five-star reveal show the other day and noted that we accidentally went live like an hour early. So you got to see a very classy sound check from me. And then you watched me randomly talk to myself as I went over notes for like 15 minutes. Just, just stirring television, if you will. So hopefully we don't do that Wednesday. But uh, we will do a live show. We'll have a lot of commitments on air. We're going to have a lot of back and forth. Wolfong is like kind of, he's kind of like a computer that also has a heart and a soul and a mouth and vocal cords. And so it's really nice because you just reach over there and you say, give me four and a half minutes on Purdue signing class. And it, 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 Wolfong, it just starts talking until you tell it, okay, don't talk anymore. We're moving on now. That's enough on Purdue. So it's a really easy job for me. Can't believe they're going to pay me to do that, but I appreciate that they will. So hope that you'll join us. Make sure you subscribe and follow me on Twitter at LateKickJosh. And remember the call to action on the front end. Any of you who are active in the Nashville men's softball scene, I need you in my inbox. JoshPate706 at gmail.com because I'm new to the neighborhood and I need to know the deal up here. So until next time, for Director Colin and Producer Jordan on the podcast side, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for watching. Have a great start to your week, and God bless. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.